Well, cool, man. I'm excited that what well, cool, Gra- man. Grace hates it when I call it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. <laughs> well, cool. I'm excited that you're here, <laughs> and I'm excited that we finally got you on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about time. It's about should have been time. guest number one. Oh my! Because your right hand woman, not Grace. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> just kidding, guys. When Grace kidding. would ask me, well. <laughs> When am I going to be on the show? I'll be like, I'm saving the big guns for uh-huh. later. I'm saving uh-huh. <laughs> Whatever you got to tell me. Oh, man. We were just talking about um, engagement rings before we got on the show. What what um, what kind of... Okay, so this is the this is a hot topic among young ladies, right? Do we go cubic zirconia? Do we go, <laughs> <laughs> do we go lab-grown diamond? Do we go uh, natural diamond? And then... You know, or do we just go like the rubber, the rubber ring that people wear Mark, these days? I can't even believe, believe you'd bring that. Up. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm sure that the you know a lot of ladies, y'all, young ladies are out here going through this same dilemma. Like I, I, I want to break the ice with some real, some real relatable well, stuff. No, I just meant the rubber. That's that's absurd. Well, okay. I, admittedly, everyone, whatever you choose is very personal to you, and if the rubber ring fits that mm-hmm. bill for you then more power to you that i personally yeah. <laughs> that's not me um but you know that like i feel like that's something that you're aware of yeah because that's you just know that that's who i am yeah, and that's but, all that matters but um but as far as the the like diamond or gemstone goes i don't know i i feel like at one point i was hellbent on having a natural diamond, mostly because I've always followed this jeweler that I've fallen in love with. It's uh, the clear cut. If you guys want to look at her up, um, but they're based out of New York. She wages war. Oh my gosh. Cause I follow her only because I know you like her yeah. stuff and she wages war on, on the lab diamonds. diamonds. <laughs> yeah. She actually wages war on them so much that if you order a ring or a piece of, you know, a ring, an engagement or wedding ring from her, she will ship you a free lab-grown diamond of the same carrot cut and clarity as your wedding ring in a little baggie because Literally it's so worthless free. to her for free. Yeah. She's like, she's like, yeah, that way when you're when you're on vacation and you're going swimming in the ocean, like just wear the lab-grown one. It looks the exact same yeah. as the real one that I sold you, and I'll give it to you for free. Yeah. That's how worthless this is. Like, I know she's she a savage, war. but yeah. but I I like her company because she's super passionate and knowledgeable about what she does. And it's a primarily female-owned and operated team. So mm-hmm. I think that's cool. And it's like the, her office is super cool. It overlooks Rockefeller Center. Like it's it's just cool. I don't yeah. know. Um, but, you know, like the the older that I get and the more that like I start to actually break down the numbers and finances and like, okay, I could spend $45,000 on a ring, which – I'll wear for the rest of my life, or I could spend $15,000 on the same style, exact same diamond, like cut clarity, color, whatever, and then use the other 30K for a down payment on a house or a car or vacation or wedding or whatever, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Also, like, starting to think about it more practically. More practically. The, the draw to natural diamonds is that they hold their value over time. Yeah. So I have a couple of pieces. Actually, the earrings, if you're watching, and the ring that I'm wearing now are both heirloom jewelry pieces from my grandma's mom. Um, and they're like naturally grown diamonds and 
real gold. So I know that those have appreciated in value over time. Um, and other than like knowing that they are of high value, like it doesn't really add any more. Yeah. Like I'm not going to go sell these because they're important to me. I think that's what, you know, heirloom jewelry is good for is that it holds sentimental value instead yeah. of like, I mean, in addition to with this, these specific pieces, but it's like real value too. Yeah. So I don't know. But, um, but yeah, so I don't know, whatever, whatever you feel like, I mean, you're the one paying for it. So yeah. <laughs> as long as like we decide on something that I like, then I really, I think about that a lot though. That, that is the only, actually that's the only thing that I think about is like, you know, when you, if it becomes an heirloom that you pass down to like a daughter or somebody like, is it, is it weird to pass down something like a, like a fake? I think because the other thing I struggle with is, is like, if I'm not buying a natural diamond, then like spending any significant yeah, amount of money true. on it makes me mad. Yeah, like, what do that's you true. Mean? Like, well, especially because that's part of the, this girl's markup is that, or this girl's like point is like these jewelers who are selling you these lab grown diamonds. Like they, you literally create their worth because there's an infinite supply of these diamonds. Yeah. So they are marking up these diamonds, like literally, like the diamond might be worth $500 and they're marking it up for 15,000. So what she's saying is like the markup on natural diamonds is much, much less and they'll actually hold their value over time. Well, their value is just based on something. It's based on yeah, scarcity. Yeah, I mean, it's still kind of stupid, the reason why natural diamonds are, like, you know, worth... Whatever they're worth. Whatever they're worth, because they manipulate that too. But they, but at least, like, the difference between their worth and what you're paying for it is smaller. Yeah. Versus, like, the worth of a lab-grown diamond and what you're paying for the lab-grown diamond, it could be a $14,500 difference. Yeah. And then when you, if you were to ever go to sell it like let's say that god forbid we were in a terrible terrible place and the last thing was my wedding ring and we needed to sell it for some cash or whatever like you'd bring your lab grown diamond to the like jeweler and they'd be like oh sir this isn't worth anything oh, <laughs> like, my i don't know that's not really something i think about often but yes yeah. yeah for so, extreme example so so you mentioned um you know, potentially like, oh, like in this theoretical example, like I could pay $45,000 for a natural ring or I could pay 15000 and take the other thirty and put it on a house or put it towards a, a wedding. Like, well, so growing up, like what was your, did, were you one of the girls that like, you know, dreamed about the big wedding that you would have someday? Or are you like, you know, where, where, where do you stand on that stuff? So I have a really big family on my dad's side. My dad is one of two, three, four. My grandpa, his dad, is one of 12. Um, and so my dad has 47 first cousins. Um, That's insane. Just on one side of his family. So we, and then if you imagine, right, so it's my grandpa's generation, which is 12. My dad, my dad and all of his cousins, which are 47. And then now they're all in their like anywhere range from like 30s to 60s. So they all have kids. And then even now some of their kids are starting to have kids. Yeah. So I have a huge family. And um, 
they, and those are the Fursellas, which if any of you guys are from St. Louis, you probably have crossed paths with one of us, whether you realized it or not, because obviously maiden names and different stuff in there. But my parents, I think, were the last wedding to have like every single aunt, uncle, cousin that, and they got married in 1998. So I think they had like 350 people at their wedding, which is just absurd. That's a a big wedding. It's a huge wedding. Um, And obviously weddings were way less expensive than than they are now. But that still would have been very expensive. expensive. Yeah, expensive. I know. But no, to answer your initial question, I'm not, I've never been a really like girly girl like that. The only thought that I really put into it was like, will I have a big wedding? And just because of the size of my family, I, my answer was always probably so. Yeah. Um, but honestly, like, I don't, the more that I have like watched people go through weddings, been in weddings, like talk to my girlfriends about how much they spent on their weddings. Like there's absolutely, and, and like they only had between a hundred and 200 people. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but there's no, there is no way that I am having, you know, my mom's friend from grade school who I haven't spoken to since I was five, who she's still best friends with, come to my wedding, pay $80 for her to eat and drink all night. (laughs) And then her to like, not her to, I'll have to introduce her to you because she's never met you before. Like, I don't know. I just feel like weddings and this is like kind of like divisive in the wedding space, but I just feel like weddings are so, there's so much a celebration for the relationship that of the people who are getting married. And I think that people nowadays, especially with like social media, it's just become like, let me throw all of this money into this wedding so that I can take pictures and show off how cool my wedding was. Like, yeah. And I don't, it doesn't, that's literally so far from like what the point of a wedding is. Like it's, I want to be able to enjoy myself on my wedding day and not be like stressed about like, Oh, like are, are the centerpieces perfect? Oh, this, this like tablecloth was the wrong shade of whatever green. Like I don't, that's so insignificant to me. Like I know it matters a lot to some people and they've thought about it like their whole life, but like truly, I I mean, we talked about like just doing a small like elopement ceremony somewhere, whether that be like, I don't know, like in the United States, out of the United States, only drawback that like I have towards doing a destination is my grandparents. I really want them to be there. Yeah. My grandpa has told me, his whole life or my whole life that his only goal, his only goal is to live long enough to dance at my wedding. So like grandpa Pete. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's a man. I know he's, it, which is so cool. My grandparents are total badasses. They like, we can get into that later, but they are just so cool and they're in their eighties, but you never know what they like look and act like they're in their sixties. So yeah. they're, they're amazing. And I'm so grateful that I've had so much time with them and I hope for another 20 years with them, that would be amazing. Grandpa but. Pete is the man. Like he, so is Grandpa Frisella, if I'm being honest. But yeah. but Grandpa Pete, I remember we were sitting in an, a coffee shop in uh, Oxford, Mississippi. In Oxford, yeah. Mississippi. That's where my brother goes and to school. 
And I'm sitting there, and I can't remember how this started, but he just looked at me, and he looked at his wife, Bev, and he's like, he told me, Mark, I've been with her for 60 years or whatever it was, like 60. 65, I think, yeah. now. Mark, we've been, we've been married 65 years, and you know what? I wish I had 65 more with her. And I'm like, oh. I know. Oh. Like, that uh, hit me so, so deep. I will never forget that. I it know. hit me so deep. I'm like, man, that is amazing yeah. to feel like that. Like, he just volunteered that to me. Yeah. Like, I'm such a romantic about that. Like, my parents been married for, like, 35 years, and it's amazing. Like, they mm -hmm. went through losing a child, mm -hmm. and that's statistically very Divorces unlikely. People. Like, yeah. it just... Totally. And... And that really inspires me. And then when he said that to me, I just swear, I was like, I wanted to hug him right mm -hmm. there. Like, that is amazing that you still, anyway, he's a man. He is. He's amazing. Yeah. They got married when they were 18. Um, They're high school sweethearts. And then my grandpa joined the Marines and was deployed for three years. Um, And then he got out of the service pretty quickly after that. So, um, and then they move oh gosh I don't even they had my my grandma had like four kids I think by the time she was like 20 I don't even they I think only before have four right no they have five. Oh, got it my mom was like five years younger than the previously younger youngest child so yeah they have five kids but they I, my grandma had kids at like 20 22, 24, 26. Mm -hmm. uh, like she was a young mom. And my, I think she like worked some, she, they had an embroidery business for a while. And then my grandpa was in real estate. But I think a lot of the time she spent staying home with yeah. the kids. But th my grandma and grandpa, the reason why I'm so close with them is because my mom and dad worked, well, my mom worked part-time when I was a baby, but my dad has always worked full-time. And um, my grandparents were like my nanny because they lived in St. Louis with me. So like every day almost from when I was like zero to five, I spent at their house. Really? Uh-huh. So like it was just the best like memories with them and they're very much so like my comfort like blanket. They're, I don't know. Whenever amazing. I'm having a bad day, I just call them and they always make it better. I don't, And I don't even tell them that I'm having a bad day. Like I just, yeah. just hearing their voices and like talking to them about what they're doing just like makes me happy. I don't I, know. I love them both. They're man. the best. Bev is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember when the Twitter files were coming out and Bev was all I know. over that My stuff. My eighty-four year old. She's grandma. eighty-four years old. She's like she she would come up to me at dinner and like and like kind of like really sneakily say to me. Did you see the latest Twitter <laughs> files release? I'm like, no. You know, and I'm like, crazy. I know why Kara is the way she I is. Know. Oh my gosh, your your grandma. You should have Kara on the podcast. I totally should. I really so so would you say that um that gra grandpa Pete and and grandma Bev that they had a bigger impact on your life than the Frisella grandparents, or is it? I think it's just different. <laughs> yeah. Like I had a very emotional connection with my mom's parents. My dad's parents, like they were a little more like emotionally removed, mm -hmm. but I still learned a lot from them. Like 
my dad's dad was a super influential person in the St. Louis community. He was a small business owner. He owned his own electrical contracting company. And he lived on the hill, which is like our Italian immigrant neighborhood, um, which I grew up on living across the street from them for the first like few years of my life, which was kind of cool to have my grandparents right across the street. Um, but my grandpa was, he's very Christian, very, very Christian. And yeah, he's amazing. Like, he will, like he'll just be like out of nowhere. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he has always been very open about that. And just like, I know that in past episodes you've talked about like how when you meet someone you, and you can just tell like they exude like Christian values and like Janice, you can tell mm -hmm. and, and Maggie, you can tell like my grandpa is like that. And Same there's way. not many men that I've met that are like that. Yeah. But he was, I, I say, I keep saying was, he's not passed, but he had a really awful head injury. Um, yeah. He has a traumatic brain. He injury. has a TBI. It really changed his personality and being, um, so I shouldn't say was because he's still very much so with us. He's just not this the same outward personality that he was at one point in time. Yeah. So anyways, um, but yeah, no, he, he would like, I remember one day he called me and was like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I paid your tuition. So like you don't have to worry about it. And your parents don't have to worry about it this year. Like, mm -hmm. work hard and do do your best and, like, I'll talk to you later. Mm -hmm. Like, just, like, out of the blue. Um, yeah. But normally, like, he would do stuff like that in St. Louis and never tell a soul. Like, he was one of the most generous people I'd ever met. And um, nobody knew because it was, like – it, part of his values and and he lives so closely to the bible that like he was like do good but don't do it for the recognition do it because it's what you're supposed to do yeah. like and so that was very much him he so i know that i mentioned earlier that he was one of 12 um we do christmas memorial day and easter with my dad's side of the family, the whole extended family. So we have like gatherings of like 100 to 200 people at those holidays. But at Christmas, when my grandma, great-grandma passed, her inheritance was left um, to give Christmas gifts to all the little kids in the family. And when that inheritance ran out, my grandpa stepped in and bought all of the kids Christmas presents from Santa every year. And I didn't even know that he did that until after his accident when my parents were talking about finances and if that was still going to be something that was a possibility. Wow. So. So would you say, because like I, I, from my perspective, it seems like you're, especially that your dad's side of the family, the Frisella side, they, they very much, it's, it's like the type of traditional Catholic and Italian family that's like structured. Like, would you say that your grandpa was like the patriarch of the family? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can tell, like, honestly, ever since his accident, it's been sad to see like the effect and, and amongst other things, because like, obviously the 
like COVID happened and a lot of people in my family had different views on COVID and it unfortunately drew a lot of people uh, to drift apart, um, which it's mended somewhat now. But yeah, for a few years there, man, it was really, yeah, really rough. Yeah, because everybody realized um, what the truth was. Well, we're not. I don't, <laughs> but anyway, my grandpa was like the very much so like the glue that held a lot of people together. Yeah. Because even like siblings who didn't necessarily always see eye to eye, like my grandpa was always, you know, talking to hey, them. Watch that stuff. Yeah, yeah, or like still had good relationships enough to like bring people together. Um but yeah, no, he, my grandpa is a savage. Like, he is a savage. He always, I, from the time that I was alive, my grandma was not working. Um, but like, my grandpa worked so hard all the time. Like, even well into like his late 70s, prior to his accident, he would go into the office every day and he was like, in all sorts of committees and he was in, involved in local politics. He was involved in like just, he he went to every single one of my cousin's hockey games his entire life. Yeah. He had he went there so much so that like he literally had a key to the back door of Afton Ice Rink. Wow. Like he they like everybody in the rink called him grandpa. Like they didn't even know his name, but they knew that no matter what, grandpa was gonna be standing by the locker room and the like behind the gate that you weren't even supposed to be in because he had a key to the back door. Yeah. Like he was the type of person that he would drive me to preschool every day and I <laughs> I hated, I don't know why, but I hated him driving me to preschool. And so the whole way from the hill to Webster, I would cry and I would cry. And I was like three and he would sit me in the front seat and like, it was totally illegal. I was, I was such a small child. Like I would be sitting in the front seat and I would just be bawling. And instead of like consoling me, he would literally start like wailing back at me. (laughs) Like literally he'd be yeah um and but like he also like my older cousin is like six years older than me I think and he went to this school called um the college school which has a very different approach about like how you educate and they're almost like a Montessori school if you know what that is Mm -hmm. it's like you do math and English inside, but then like you go on field trips and like learn applied sciences actually in the field and, you know, just all this different stuff. It's just a different approach. It's kind of, they also like believe in more so of like the gentle parenting, like you don't really tell your kid no, like it's, it's a, a, yeah, it's kind of more like that's weird progressive in that sense. Yeah. So anyway, my cousin went there and he was like acting out one day. And so they called my grandpa and my grandpa showed up and walked down the hallway, like pulled his truck. I don't even think he like, like, I think he, I don't even think he like put it in park. He might have just like pulled it like e-brake and just went inside, whatever. So he, he like went inside and the teacher was like, Hey, Mr. Frisella, like, you know, Dominic's acting up today, whatever. And so he's like, come here. So he pulls him outside. My grandpa takes off his belt, whoops him <laughs> right in the hallway. No way. Yeah, whoops him in front of the whole the teacher, the whole class. Like, and <laughs> and then he sent Dominic back into the room, and he's like, "It won't happen again." And he left, and like the teacher was mortified. I mean, he was like, no or, "Yeah, way. oh yeah." The teacher was like, "I don't think they ever call my grandpa again after that." What? <laughs> 
He's not saying a, that I condone that, but yeah, just to G. like give a testament. Like my grandpa was old school. Like he was uh, old school. So man. Um, but yeah, that's I, so funny when you when you say that he's like you know man. There's some men in your family that I just really admire a lot. Like um, your grandfather is definitely one of them, and I didn't even get a chance to know him before his TBI. But like, yeah. I mean, every single person that I've ever met in your family talks about him the same yeah. way, which is just... I know. It, it does make me sad, really. I, I And truly, like, Mark, the, we were laughing about this with Jack earlier. Um, Mark, on our very first date, asked me what the hardest thing... The first question that he asked me, like, showed up to our first date. And he was like, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to go through? Which, yeah. what the hell of an opener, but... Um, hey, I just want to get to the, straight to yeah, the... Yeah, I don't think you small talk very well. If yeah. that's a sign to anyone looking to befriend Mark, he just cuts right to the chase. But um, but no, I and I responded with my, my grandfather's accident. So um, to what we know about the accident is that... So for reference, like prior to this TBI... My grandpa weight trained three times a week. He walked three plus miles a day around Tower Grove Park. He was 75, I believe, but he, you, like, he could have told you he was 60 and you would have believed him. He was always, like, bronzed by the sun, like, jacked, and he always ate, like, my grandma's home-cooked food and just took really, really good care of himself. When he was younger, he was a golden glove boxer and a semi-pro soccer player. So, like, he was always – all while he had five, four kids. Um, so he was, you know, really healthy um, and mentally completely, like, with, as with it as a 30-year-old, like, just with it. Um, they lived in this house with the most beautiful backyard. They put in a deck, and they had, like, a couple hundred thousand dollars of, like, yard work put in the back because they just love to sit on their porch and enjoy it. And they were at the point where it's their like forever house. So why not? And so they had this waterfall that went down this, like their hill, their backyard was a complete hill. So like those waterfall feature at the top and then these massive stone steps that were probably six to eight inches thick each. And they were huge. They were like the size of this table. So my grandma was out of town with my mom, actually, and they were out for a work trip, and my grandpa was home alone, and he was, like, watching someone's dogs for them, like, dog sitting, so I don't know if, like, he, like, we don't know what happened to provoke him to go outside. He also is the type of person that, like, type of guy that just peed outside all the time, so it may have been that he just, like, literally went outside to take a leak and, like, check the animal trap at the bottom of his yard because he would, like, catch feral cats or whatever, yeah. I don't know, raccoons or possums or whatever that were, like, messing with his bird feeders. So we have no idea, like, what caused him to go outside. But somehow he, like, walked to the end of the hill, and it was raining. And when he um, was walking back up the hill, he had one foot on the step and one foot in the mulch and slipped. And we think that because he had just had a shoulder replacement surgery a couple of months prior, he didn't want to land on his arm or his shoulder, so he rotated a weird way. And then his head hit the step above it, and he was unconscious outside in the rain for 12 hours um, <clears throat> with no – like nobody knew that he was there because my grandma was out of town. So, my, again, going back to like how connected my grandpa was, he was having some work done on his property – 
on it was supposed to be like restaining his deck. And so the guy who was doing it, he knew. So the guy like knocked on the door, heard the dog inside going nuts, walked in. The dog had like peed and pooped all over the house. There was like half eaten dinner on the counter still. And like he just was could sense that something was wrong. So he like walked outside and found my grandpa like just really awful scene. He was driven and like as fast as possible to the nearest hospital. They removed a piece of his skull and he actually had like two um, hematomas, which are like massive brain bleeds on his brain because of how hard he hit it actually like ricocheted off of his skull. So they took his skull off to like help with the swelling. And now he has like, the, it was like months and months and months before it started to like go back down. And yeah. man, watching him, they literally attributed the only reason to him being alive and surviving was because he was physically fit. Yeah. Like had he not been as physically fit as he was, they told us that he would have like died. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, so nuts. it was a crazy, crazy, like I remember, like I can tell you exactly where it was when my cousin called me and was like, Hey, I'm so, I'm so sorry about your grandpa. And, I, and when he, the way that he phrased it made it, cause he, it, it was Carter and it's Carter's grandpa too. So I, I thought it was like my other grandpa. And so I called my dad and I was like, what happened? And he was like, Oh no, grandpa Frisella, he, he, like he told me the whole story and I was, I just like lost it. Just, I think the fact that he was out there for so long. Yeah. That's the hard part you to know, think about. Yeah. It's just like so awful. The so 12 hours, but also like knowing the impact that he had on everyone in my family, how close, like my dad and him would talk multiple times a day, every day. Like they had a really great relationship and just seeing like how the dynamic, both in my immediate family and my extended family has changed since then has been like really sad. And it makes me sad that like no one has really like stepped up and tried to like take yeah. that fill that role but it's it's huge it's crazy shoes how powerful yeah it's huge huge shoes to fill and then it's also it's really crazy how powerful like one personality can be mm -hmm. like i said that that's kind of reinforces it's huge shoes to fill you know who i think about though when when you when you mentioned like how generous he would be and he wouldn't tell anybody about it like your your cousin andrew is for sure oh, like yeah. that. Like I know him and thousand he's he's th there's like little pieces that I see in other people. Like your dad mm -hmm. kind of steps up in some place. Like it takes it takes several men of your family right now to fill the to shoes, fill the shoes that your grandfather yeah, used to used sure. to walk in. But Andrew's for sure so much more generous than people know. Yeah. And that he'll ever tell anybody. And that that is something that I, I like bringing that up every chance I get because so many people have a negative perception of him mm -hmm. and they like have no idea. He's one of the most nicest, generous people that I've ever met. But as far as being involved in like local politics and stuff like that, he's like, you guys are fending for yourself out here. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrew and Sal, like they both really looked up to my grandpa I know. a lot because out of the 12, Jim and John 
When we say Andrew, closest. too, we're talking about Andy, Andy Frisella. Frisella. You guys yeah. would know him as Andy Frisella. But I've called him Andrew my whole life, so calling him Andy is a little yeah. bit weird. He's, he's like, corrected me before when I try to call him, like, Andy in the office. He's like, no, it's Andrew. I'm like, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to, I didn't know. It was weird. I didn't, whatever. Yeah. But um, Everybody here calls you Andy. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, so Andrew and Sal's dad and my grandpa our brothers and that's our family connection but they were like super tight and jim is a lot like jim is a john savage. c um yeah but they sal and andrew also looked up to my grandpa a lot um and like when his, he had his accident like they were consistently visiting him in the hospital and really yeah like i would see them there a lot they they really like had a strong relationship with them my dad too has a was like their third brother so Oh, yeah. Um, I remember when we first started dating that Sal was like, listen, I don't think you understand who her father is to me. Yeah. Like, like and I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, yeah. no, he pulled me up. And then Andrew, too, when he finally realized that we were dating, like, no, I don't think you understand who her father is to me. Yeah. That's what they kept saying. And I'm yeah. like, oh, snap. In my family, like... Especially on that side more so. Like, family loyalty is the absolute number one value. Like, yeah. Above all. And so, that was, like... Yeah. You for sure have, like, a traditional Italian family. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's cool because you had, like... Um, you have this influence from your mom's side's grandparents and you have this influence from your dad's side's grandparents and you grew up, well, at least you spent some part of your childhood on the hill, which is, for those of you that don't know, is like just this super concentrated, culturally preserved neighborhood, Italian neighborhood in St. Louis, where like you go there, there's an Italian flag on every light post, all the restaurants are Italian, that all the bakeries are Italian, the general store are Italian. Like it's it's the a, church is Italian the, and they teach Italian in the school and yeah, yeah, yeah. Spanish. The like fire hydrants are painted like the Italian flag. The Italian flag. Like it's a it's a really it's cool to drive through. It's like almost like it reminds me of New York City. They have like little Italy. Little Italy. They have Chinatown. Yeah. They have like these distinct so anyway, so spending some time on on that, um, growing up in that neighborhood, and then having this like this really traditional Italian Catholic family, um, what what um, you know like what what um, traditions? Like we were talking about marriage earlier, and you were like, you know, marriage has just gotten away from what it's supposed to be. Well, as we like start to build a life together and stuff, like what traditions do you think? you are going to take from your Italian heritage and your, and your, and your grandparents and your, you know, I want to know like what kind of influence did that have on who you now are or want to be as an adult? Well, I think that for me, like talking more so in my immediate family first, like my mom, dad, and my brother, mm -hmm. we spent dinner together every night, no matter what. Like every night, if I, I was a competitive gymnast growing up and my practices often lasted like late into the evening and my family is already home, but no matter what, they waited for me. And when I got home at nine, we ate dinner together at nine. Mm. Like we, that was just something that my parents always made like a, an absolute non-negotiable. 
And even if the dinner... I can picture your dad being home and being so hangry <laughs> being yeah. so grumpy like yeah. oh, i never get to eat in this dang house <laughs> um but no i think it, it was really special because like otherwise we really wouldn't have spent much time together during the day yeah like even if the dinner only lasted 15 20 minutes like at least we had that together every mm-hmm. day um and then as far as like the rest of my family we like I grew up close with my cousins and having like I know a lot of people who like don't even know their cousins and that's such a weird concept to me yeah so I and you know even though into our adulthood like we might not be as close as we were as kids like I always really enjoyed like we would do Sunday dinners once a month we would do like Christmas like all the main holidays Mother's Day Father's Day um all that stuff together and I have like really fond memories of that, you know, and I think it's important to let your kids know that like it's not just you and you're, like, you know, Gina, our friend Gina talks a lot about the idea of the nuclear family in the current society and how like people on the right tend to like push this idea of the nuclear family versus people on the left are trying to like change the idea of what the nuclear family looks like. But she takes like a third party approach of like the nuclear family is a failure. Like it's setting people up for failure. We're not supposed to be this mom, dad and child in a white picket fence isolated from the rest of society. Like we're supposed to be, you know, this family that's you've got aunts, you've got uncles, you've got cousins, you've got grandma and grandpa, you've got neighbors, like you have a village and you talk about that a lot with omen but and and i'm very very fortunate i realize and i've realized a lot as i've gotten older how special it is to have a family that's as large and connected and close as we are on both sides of my family um and and truly i think that's like the biggest blessing that i have been like given by god in my life truly yeah. is my family i'm so grateful for my family um but I realized that, like, my – a lot of, like, people, my friends even, like, have not been afforded that same opportunity. Um, so it's tough, right? Because you think about in society, like, a lot of people have no choice but to just raise their family with what they've got and who they've got. And sometimes that's a single-parent household and, and you just do the best you can, you know. So I think it's cool what you're building with Omen to become a support system for those people who may not – have been afforded the the ecosystem that I have and and to inspire people to continue to build those ecosystems if they have the ability to do so within their own circle. So definitely, um, you know, preserving like family holidays. Like I know that you hate it when I drag you to like my family functions, but I it's hate really it less important now to than me. I did, <laughs> than I did back then. Um, I really like your family now. I was really yeah. intimidated by it back then though. Well, for context, like it was funny when Mark and I first started dating because Mark is a convicted felon and he's like covered in tattoos and, and your like, dad is a former my police dad, officer my dad and is a current judge and current judge and current prosecuting attorney and <laughs> my no 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 one in my family has tattoos so yeah. it was just like very opposite like background of like what I like anybody who I had like brought home prior was yeah. and um yeah I don't know like 
and also you're older than me. So that was like another factor thrown into it. And we worked together and like literally like I think going into first form, my mom was like, just take some time for yourself. Stay away from the boys. Uh, <laughs> which, to um, be fair, you, you know, we did say I did stay away. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, but um, um, but yeah. So wait, but to your point though, I I really do think about how because I never had the kind of family or upbringing that you're talking about, but something something uh, which my foster parents are amazing. Yeah, um, I had a foster family; they're amazing. I was very fortunate to you know sort of uh land in their uh guardianship and their care and uh so that's i notwithstanding but um but i certainly didn't have like you know what you're talking about and and um i think about building one of the things that i sort of romanticize with omen is like building a a, a village that our kids someday will like grow up in like I I even think about you know sort of Enzo and 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 the the girls so um your your cousin Sal's mm -hmm. kids running around first form and like how all the you know executives there and all the 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 people that work there they they all know the kids and the kids know them and they have you know there's an abundance of people who are in their life that care about them and that so i think about that i think about building this village not only for the members of this community and so that the adults and the kids alike have sort of a village to grow up with and to go through life with but i think about our kids running around you know the coffee shop and you know knowing our regular cut like gary like our kids will walk in and they'll know Gary, you know, sitting there reading his newspaper. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I think about that a lot. And um, it, and just to circle back a little bit, because I did I was looking for a specific, um, you know, we were talking about just like kind of what traditions, you know, that you're going to carry you and I are going to carry into our life you know, that you'll take, that you've taken from your upbringing, because I, I, I literally admire it so much. I admire your family. I admire the structure, the size of it, the connectedness. And I, and I, even though I never really had that, I want that for mm -hmm. our future family. Um, and the dinner every night thing is something that, um, is powerful. I think that's a really simple, but powerful tradition to carry. Your mom also does these like Sunday dinners. I'm going to be honest. I wish she would do it every Sunday. I don't she know. would. She yeah. just doesn't want to bother I, no, you. Listen, I'm just <laughs> going to I'm, I'm just putting it out there. You okay? heard it here. <laughs> listen, I wish you would do it every Sunday because then we can just do it every Sunday at grandma's house, you know? Or yeah. it, 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 for now, oh, it's Miss just, Kara is going to be the best grandma ever. But but for real, I mean, I, I love those Sunday. And I think that would be a really cool tradition. Um, and, you know, we think, we, we, we talk a lot, I talk a lot about like sort of, you know, the old, the old fashioned way of doing things. And there's just something really charming about the old fashioned way of doing things. We've become so disconnected from one another, like families and friends alike. Like it doesn't matter. Like so most people now are like, you know, FaceTiming their mom is the same as stopping by and saying, hello, that's not the same. It's not, yeah. it's not the same. but your family doesn't operate that way. They're, yeah. I think so my grandparents, the my mom's parents, um, they lived here for 50 years in St. Louis. 
And then when they officially retired, my grandpa still is not really retired, but you know, quote unquote retired. Yeah. Just, um, they built a beautiful five bedroom log home on the top of one of the Ozark mountains that overlooks, um, Table Rock Lake. It was so stunning. I wish they had it when we were together because it was the most beautiful place. Um, and they lived there for 12 years and they sold it when they turned 80 and bought an RV and drove around the country to almost every national park and all these state parks. And just because my grandpa had gotten to travel worldwide a lot, um, and traveled a lot for his business, but my grandma had never really gotten the opportunity to do so because she'd always been at home with the kids or working or whatever. Um, and so she, like, they just hopped in the RV and they've been driving all around. Now they, I bring that up because currently they're parked in Mississippi. They, they love it there. The people are nice and the living is slow and, you know, it's, it really is very charming, even though Mississippi is, I think the poorest state and or one of the poorest states in the u.s i think it's really underrated and yeah people should visit it if you have the chance but um they love it so they have they just like hop around between these three rv parks because i didn't know it but you can only stay at an rv park for like two weeks at a time it's not like a trailer home yeah you can't live there yeah <laughs> so they hop around between these three and they're all parked on the edge of this lake yeah and so anyway they they just are content and yeah. and I w- I'm so happy that they're happy, but part of me misses having them here so much. And I'm like, these are the these could be the last like, however many years of your life. Yeah. And I so wish that like I could just be that they were around around yeah. and like see them all the time because they're so important to me. So, you know, I I get that. Like I I just I all that to say like when we have kids, I don't think that we'll ever be somewhere that my parents are not because. Oh, yeah. They, I can't. I can't picture that. Yeah, at least like, you know, my. I think my dad's a few years away from retirement still, but, um, like once they retire, yeah, I don't know what they're gonna do. Yeah, but whatever they do, it'll probably be around us. Yeah, <laughs> or John. Do your families really, uh, over the last year or so, become quite the fan of the old Miss fans? Oh yeah, uh, that's why your grandpa, your grandparents are in Mississippi. They're not there for Ole Miss, though. yeah. They're but just it's just coincidence they like that it. they an- that they landed there. But yeah, um, because your brother goes there, right? Yeah, my brother goes to Ole Miss. He is in his second year of school. Um, but man, I so I went to Mizzou, so I had a small taste of SEC football. Um, but SEC football in the South. Whew, it's this entirely different yeah. like thing. Um, and Ole Miss is interesting because traditional tailgates, I feel like, are usually in like a parking lot or like at Mizzou, they were in the backyards of fraternities that throw these huge parties. Um, but at Ole Miss, they have what's called the Grove, which is like this big quad area on their campus that's like tree lined, whatever, and. These southern parents, man, they are they are so avid about football that there's literally companies in Oxford, which is the city where Ole Miss is, that will set up your whole tailgate tent for you. Like they're like contracted to do it. They'll like wire up a full size flat screen TV, put in a couch, like all the Thursday before the tailgate. So like that's insane. Just to secure your spot. Yeah. Um, 
but there's like a whole there's actually quite a few St. Louis kids who go to Ole Miss because it's just a straight drive down Highway 55. Yeah. It's only like five and a half hours. It's pretty easy, but um they have like a whole St. Louis tent that you have to like buy a membership to be a part of. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but like the girls down there, they get so dolled up. Like it is so southern charm, like they have the white boots, they have the frilly dresses. Like the first time that I went down there, and that if you know me, like that is just so not me. Yeah. Um, and the first time that I went down there, my mom was like, You gotta get all dressed up. You gotta be so cute. Like the girls, you're gonna stick out like a sore thumb. And I'm like, Okay. So I like got this dress on Amazon. It was way too big. I had just cut all of my hair off and I didn't know how to style it. Or no, I forgot my blow dryer or something. And I had bangs that needed to be like curled and, and it just, all these girls had this like long flowy blonde curled extension hair. And like, I just like looked so not, I looked so out of place and yeah. I was so uncomfortable. I had like Converse on. Oh no. Just, um, you were there. It was I, the one that you went to. Yeah. So uh, yeah, after that I was like, F this, I'm wearing jeans. So th yeah. since then, then we got to go this year. I didn't make it down to, um, Ole Miss campus this year, but Ole Miss made it to the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, and I was fortunate to be able to fly down and go. Yeah, it's so watch funny that. how gung ho everybody became over Ole Miss. But real it's quick. fun. It, it is. It, it is, really it is, is fun. It is a and lot like, of fun. I just like supporting John. John's like yeah. my, he's like one of my favorite young guys. I know, you know? he's, he's, he's a such a stud. So yeah. He, so you're you only have one sibling. One right? sibling, and it's John. Yep. Um and. Uh, so he, what's he up to? He's just, he's majoring, he was majoring in business and now he's, yep. now he's criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And John goes down, this guy is just like the prez. Like he just is, the, he has, he has Dave Portnoy energy. <laughs> okay. I'm serious. He has Dave Portnoy energy, but he's, is what is weird. he, 20 years yeah, old? He's 20. He's 20 years old oh with like God. this, with like this just, I don't give up, you know, it's just, I love this kid, wow. and and the, lo and behold, we find out. First of all, I find out that his first year in college, he's joining a fraternity. I'm like, that's really well. Lame. Let me tell you the oh, story. I'm like, that's really lame. I I think that's kind of. I'm not, you know, I'm just not a group guy. But that's ironic. I lied because now I have the men's group. But I think that that's lame anyway. Fraternities, but. But I went along with it. The next year, what do we know? They vote him the president of, of his fraternity. <laughs> and I'm just like, that checks out. That 100,000% checks out. This kid is just down there just chilling. The most nonchalant attitude ever. And then Dave Portner had energy all the way. And he, and then I hear he's the president of his fraternity. And I'm just laughing in my me head. Me too. Like, that was a really unexpected something that is me. hilarious well because okay here's the the more context to that story john did not want to rush at all because he is the complete opposite of everything preppy everything mm -hmm. like he just was disgusted by it i had okay admittedly i d had dated this guy while i was in college who was like the traditional like douchebag fraternity guy frat, frat and guy. yeah so then when i um brought john to mizzou i was like look this could be you and he was like Fuck that. I am never doing yeah. that. Never. But that's so, why it's so funny that he's the president well, now. Because like, no, he's like the furthest thing from a fat I know, guy. but but 
I think that's actually good yeah, for that too. fraternity. But yeah. anyway, he's still very much so like does not fit that bill. And yeah. in, in the South, in the fraternities there, like legacy fraternities on Ole Miss's campus that you can't get in unless like your dad was in there or you're from Mississippi or what. Like, so they're like, and those are like the really like douchey ones. Yeah. But John's, he, so basically my mom and I were like on him. We're like, you got to rush because here's what's going to happen. Even if you rush and you hate it, you'll meet one other guy there that's rushing and also hates it. And you guys can at least be acquaintances so you won't be, like, completely alone. You'll meet someone. You'll know someone. Yeah. Um, and he was like, okay. So he went to one party and he hated it. Yeah. He hated it. He was like, fuck this. I'm not doing it. I don't know what got – I think the only thing – he was, like, out at a bar with somebody and met the rush chair for the fraternity that he's currently in. And they had just gotten let back on campus from being banned for hazing like five years prior or something. And he clicked with the guys. And so he ended up going to this event that they had and they loved it and they loved, or he, they loved him and he loved them. And so he got a bid and like, when I tell you that comparatively, like if you've never seen the movie Animal House, it's a little not PC currently, so just fair warning. But it is one of the funniest movies. Like I, Mark refuses to watch it, but I but I think it's just so it's just so funny. Yeah. Um. But in the movie, there's like all these preppy, like super popular fraternities, and then there's this one like band of brothers hodgepodge, like the weirdo dorks of the fraternity that all get like thrown into this one house because they didn't get accepted anywhere else, and like truly. <laughs> That's kind of what that's I pictured his, John's fraternity to be. Yeah. And all the other people, like, the girls wouldn't pair with them for homecoming because they weren't cool. Like the Really? Yeah. Like, the guys. And now he's the president. Well, this no, no. Listen. It, it, so, so they had, like, the lowest enrollment of any because they were, like, just basically they had just gotten back on. Like, there was no upperclassmen to try to, like, recruit. So it was just, it was just sad. Like, this is a sad little group. But John had a blast because they he didn't feel like he had to like fit into a specific mold. Yeah. And, and that's the premise of the movie too, is like they end up like having the most fun, whatever. So they actually this year, when they rushed, had to turn like they had the highest number of people who picked them as their first choice. Wow. And now they have the largest incoming class of any of the fraternities on campus. Like they went from being like the like loser weirdos yeah. to being like the one that everybody wanted but they're like it's so funny because they'll like all the girls will like hang out at the house but then won't like tell anybody that they're hanging out there like they want to hang out with the five tall guys because they're the most fun but like they only like go to date parties with like the sig taws and the pikes and like yeah. you know whatever but like they're like the side piece but like the they're like <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i don't so know funny. so anyway my brother like, went from not being, a, like, even wanting to rush to them becoming part of this, like, you know, very be-yourself type of fraternity. And then the day of the presidential election, his friends were like, bro, you should just run. He ended up getting 93% of the vote from the House to become the president. And he's like, well, I guess I'm doing it. I guess I'm the so, <laughs> He is, dude. I know. Such and a he's a good person to do it because he really does have a level head, especially for a 20-year-old. Like, he's very... Like yeah. an old soul. My brother and I both like that, which is funny that like 
now, because growing up, we were like polar opposites. I'm very type A. He's very type B. I like gave a lot of fucks about what other people thought and what I was involved in in my grades. John like is really smart, but just didn't really try in school and didn't care what other people thought. And like just wasn't he just like kind of marched to the beat of his own drum. So like we were polar opposites. But we both, like, as adults, have very level heads on our shoulders for people out. our age. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I like John, man. I like John. So you're an older sister, and you were mean to John. Oh, huh? I bullied the shit out of him. Ah. I did. We're four years apart. Um, and it, it's just, like, just awkward enough of an age gap to where, like, he would be in eighth grade, and I – or, sorry, he would be in – sixth grade so coming into middle school and I was a freshman in high school yeah. and then I was a freshman in college and he was a freshman in high school yeah. so like we're like never at the same school we never had the same friends we never like just had like we were just so polar opposite personality wise that like we just didn't click yeah. like we were just not each other's people growing up and I don't know why I was so mean to him but yeah I really and now you guys I are really pretty close was, yeah I mean it's funny because like you say that we're close like I don't We're have anything to compare. definitely closer than me and any of my family members yeah, are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that, you know. But also I know siblings who talk every day and, like, yeah. hang out and, you know. So, like, I, it's a sliding scale. But, like, definitely we're closer now than we've ever been before. Yeah. And I think that the older we get, the closer we'll get to because he's stepping into, like, adulthood and, you know, thinking about more, like, pro he's always been a very, like, analytical thinker. But, like, now he's starting to, like, think about bigger picture things than just like what he wants to do with yeah. his life yeah so 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 i'm gonna kind of shift gears here but like on social media you have like i don't know close to a hundred thousand followers on instagram and you have like i think 20 or thirty thousand followers on tiktok mm -hmm. um you know and i know that that's like something that's really popular right now it's like this whole everybody wants to be an influencer everybody wants to be a content creator um first of all how did you you know get to a hundred thousand followers did you try was that what you did you set out to be an influencer and then you know is being an influencer like really what everybody thinks it is and uh and yeah and like sort of where are you now in 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 with respect to that, is that a, a big piece of your life or are you just, you know, doing something else and running your business on the side right now? Yeah. Like talk a little bit about that. Cause I know everybody, everybody wants to have a hundred thousand followers. So yeah. Yeah. Well also like, it's so funny cause when I meet people, that's like one of the first things that either they knew that prior and they're like, Oh, they like bring it up or they're like, Oh, let's connect. And I bring up my Instagram and they're like, Oh wow, you're famous. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hardly. Um, but yeah, no. So I I never use social media. Like there are some people out there like these mega influencers who are like, I've been YouTubing since I was 10 doing like get ready with me videos. Like that's not me. Um, <laughs> sorry. That's a fact. Um, that's definitely not me. I hated makeup. I hated dresses and girly things. Mm -hmm. I like books and sports and other stuff. But um, I always liked taking like cute photos and like used Instagram as like posting like the cute pictures from whatever life events I had going on. And I definitely consumed social media. Yeah. Vine was my era. Uh, you 
were not I around. What Vine is, yeah. I know. I think that was when you're in prison. Yes. Yeah. So, huh. um, but it really was a prime. Do you remember Vine, Jack? Yeah. Oh, it was just so good. And that sometimes every once in a while, John and I, when we're together, we'll go watch like YouTube Vine compilations. And it's just, they're, they're so funny. But it's like an inside joke. Like if yeah. you weren't around for the era, you won't get it. Um, but anyway, so watch that. And then in, so I wound up with a job at First Form. That's a whole long story that I won't get into right now. But um, First Form was one of the first companies to really pioneer affiliate marketing using social media. And um, with that being said, a lot of their internal employees, they strongly encourage to build their personal brands on Instagram. Um, it's a huge way that, you know, the first form community stays connected worldwide. It's how they get such a draw for Summer Smash and any events that they put on. And when they say, hey, we're popping up in Salt Lake City, Utah, they had 300 people show up because they're so strongly connected on social media. And so while I was there, I started to build my brand. And actually, it's funny because um, when I went there, I was in college still with full intent, planning to return to college in the fall. I was just working there over the summer. And they were like, you know, you should really start posting on Instagram. It's really valuable. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to make a new Instagram because I don't want my college friends to see it. It's embarrassing. And they were like, we really don't recommend that. Like you have 1,200 followers. You might as well just use that as like a springboard. And I'm like, yeah, but everyone from grade school, high school, college, like friends of friends, they all follow me. And like that's just going to be embarrassing. And so they were like, okay, like you can just, you can make a new one. Like it's okay. Yeah. But just know like it's going to be harder starting from scratch. So I did. And it was like G for Fit or something. I don't know, whatever. So I like, it was during COVID. So I was posting like home workouts and yoga and like whatever. Um, and, you know, getting a little bit of traction, but like slowly over time, because just, I really at first I, tapped hardcore into the first form community because they were so well connected. And yeah. also my last name is the same as Andy and Sal. So a lot of people were like, Oh, who's this girl that just like randomly popped up? That's that first form. And, and how I explain first form, obviously there's like a lot of, um, like facets to first form. It's not just social media. There's a huge machine behind the business and like a lot of people that make it run and work really hard. But in a sense, like, have you ever heard of a content house? No. Okay, so in LA, there's this concept and, and a couple other places too, like Nashville has them. But basically, like, influencers live in this house and they all basically, like, play off each other and create content together. Got it. And they all have these big brands and they just grow into, like, one another's, like, social channels basically and just blow up. Yeah. Because Tim has 100,000, Molly has 2 million like James has 45 million, whatever. So they're all like posting with one another and building each other's platforms up. Well, that's kind of how First Form HQ was like yeah. while I started working there. I think I was one of the first women to work in that building. Like I think there was like Paula and a couple of other like Seema and yeah. Taylor, a couple other women there before me. But like, I think I was like pretty early on in the number of women. So like, anyway, that to say like, it was just an uncharted territory. Like we were all just kind of 
posting and yeah, like, but you came in and went zero to a hundred thousand followers in less than a year. Yeah, but okay, so 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 <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, but okay, you basically showed us all up. Like, yeah, we're all like sitting around. I remember sitting in the office and people would be like, "Dang, do you see Grace? She's at forty k. She's really? at fifty k." And I'd be like. <laughs> we were together at that point. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> we were know. on my, my downfall over I here. No. Um, but no, like so. Anyway, I, the initial first probably 10k that I had was yeah. strictly because I was like in the first form facility. Mm -hmm. A lot of people had like built up significant platforms, and I was just bouncing off of like that. Yeah. Then my like they introduced reels and i was like oh yeah like this is gonna be fun let's this just is like buying this is like yeah i was like this is funny like it was in the time when it wasn't so like hardcore educational and also like the fitness niche online is so like close-knit so like if you are a content creator in the fitness space it's almost i think arguably it's one of the fastest spaces to grow in because like People just love people who love fitness content love fitness content. Yeah. So like tap into a market where the community is already there. It helps with your growth. And then it was just like I just knew fitness and nutrition. So it was like easy for me to apply a lot of the trends that were going on to like fitness or nutrition somehow. And I had friends who were like willing to like be goofy and like Charlotte and be goofy and like do this fun stuff with me and make these funky like fun videos and people just ate it up yeah. like ate it up and so I think when I left the building I had like 30,000 followers and I just kept like doing the funny reels and at one point I was up to like 120,000 followers yeah um and it was but then like you know also during that time was like one of the most like mm, hard mental places I had ever been in because I had just left my job and had no idea what I was going to do, but I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And then like not, you know, as someone who like I seek a lot of external validation and for better or for worse, that's just like kind of, I was like a competitive gymnast. So it's like been ingrained in me since childhood. So so then when I like didn't have a job and didn't have like something, a purpose or anything to like show up for people like telling me what to do or anything like that, I really mentally struggled. So I stopped posting a lot and I ended up like going backwards and like losing a lot of my followers. And I also like just lost my love for fitness in a sense. So it just didn't feel as authentic to me to be posting about something when I just wasn't like showing up and living it myself day to day. Yeah, but even at... Even at 120,000 followers, like, you weren't making any money off Instagram. Like, it's, No, it was never. I think, I think that people have this common misconception about influencers. Like, if you have a lot of followers, like, you just must be making money. Like, <laughs> I and, wish it was that easy. Yeah, and that's the so, – so now you're in this journey of trying to figure out, like, how to monetize mm -hmm. your platform and, you know, how does this whole – you know, UGC content creator thing work and, mm -hmm. you know, can this be a business? Do people make money doing this? But it's even still a lot of question marks. Like, and I just, yeah. that's one thing I wanted to pull out of you is like the reality 
like there's so many people that want to be an influencer that think that they want this life and it's like even at your peak with 120,000 followers like you I was there you literally were making zero dollars from your social media and even now and you've spent the last year or so really learning from people who do do this and and even now like you yeah you you do okay um but like it's still hard like it's right. still it's still nothing that you're right. like oh i can just quit all my work my mm-hmm. real work and just do this like you don't have that confidence yet no. and you've been at it for literally trying hard to figure it out for like the past year so that's something that i think is is just it's useful to shed light on for people because it's not all it's cracked up to be yeah well i think too but a lot of people get hung up on like the follower count and i've actually made more money having less followers like i have less followers now and i make more money now than i did with the more in 2022 when i had 120,000 followers you know so um so anyway, I, I switched my niche. I started posting again. I, I do more like fashion and lifestyle stuff. Mm-hmm. If you scroll back though, you'll find all my fitness content there still. But um, but yeah, so I've been trying to learn. And obviously like Instagram has changed a ton in the last, it's always changing. So keeping up with the, like I try not to keep up with the algorithm because nobody actually knows what the fuck they're talking about when they say oh like there's all these people that are like in social media growth experts and they're like the algorithms change I'm like you know you're freaking you're guessing foot from your yeah. hand like yeah you're so full of it but you, you know so I try to just like make high quality content that feels authentic to me and just like run that game plan um because it's all you can do. Like you, yeah. if you're going to chase this, this goal, that's always moving. You're never going to like whatever. And P, you know, so I'm trying to just like figure out what exactly it is that I want to do. And, and just keeping my content broader has helped me, you know, people say like niche down, but I think that that can be limiting in a sense, because if you niche down too much, like I was literally just on a call with a huge fashion brand and they said that they were going to cut some of their, um, content creators, next season because they don't have a lot of beauty products and they there's like very beauty specific influencers that they were working with yeah so like having a little bit you know for growth it might be a little more detrimental to like your the speed of your growth because you aren't tapping into a specific market but creating high quality content around different niches allows people to come and say, hey, can you do this beauty thing? Hey, can you do this fashion thing? Hey, can you do this fitness thing? You know, like so there's it increases just, the likelihood that you can actually make money doing it. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, there's not like a right or wrong way. And that's the thing about social media is like it's such a new space that like really the, the mm-hmm. options are endless. Yeah. Like you can do it however you want. Um but no, you asked me like if it's my full-time job and no, it's not. Um, I work in social media as my full-time job. Yeah. Most of my income comes from being related in social media in some way, shape or form. But like my stable steady income comes from me doing social media for in-person clients that I have in St. Louis. So I'll go in and I will shoot video and photo for them, edit it create a plan for it and then depending on if they want me to I'll I'll go as far as like posting and responding to comments writing copy like doing all that stuff for them on a retainer but like I've really tried to work hard and it's my goal this year to make content creation full-time like 
my career and not to say that I'll abandon those clients because I love them and I like will always work with them until it comes to a point where it's not necessary anymore. But, um, but like really be the majority of my income. Yeah. And it's tricky because like a lot of uh, something that people don't think about with being an influencer and being a content creator is that like your income is never consistent. Yeah. You only eat what you kill. Yeah. You got to go out and get deals, get Mm -hmm. deals, get deals, and you got to put them on the calendar and then you got to follow up and then you got to get another deal. And a lot of people think that like, I don't know. I just had this common misconception that like, I'm going to get a lot of followers and then I'm going to get a manager. Like there's going to be a manager that wants to work with me and secure deals. And like I had, I, I knew people who like had managers and, had similar follower counts to me and like I was like you know this is just gonna happen for me like and it definitely has not like this is just not I just thought it was gonna be like I thought I was gonna be more like uh desired in that sense yeah um more valuable to them but like from the more people that I talk to the more that they're like no like you literally have to be like an Alex Earl to like have managers want yeah. to work with you. And you have to do it yourself. Yeah. If you're so, not. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like that's a huge area that I'm hoping to step into this year. And I'll, part of it is because I just have not had the time to like sit there and just hash out all this stuff. But part of it is because I just like don't even know where to start like reaching out to brands and stuff. So that's something that like here in the next few months is really going to become like one of my top priorities is like trying to really reap the benefits of like the proactive outreach to brands and trying to secure more like brand deals. I just have it like, it's always held me back thinking that like somebody could say no or the fact that like, I have no idea what the going rates are because it's very like hush hush in the influencer industry. And so there's not much to compare it to. So you kind of just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. So like throwing out an astronomical number to this brand and having them like laugh in my face like it's just so hard to like know your value in a sense when it's this wild wild west of like nobody really knows and everybody's just making it up and like I mean you and I were talking yesterday about this girl who you said she was charging like Mm -hmm. x for her posts and then her friend was like oh no you should be charging like five times that and she was like okay so she sent it to this brand and and they were like oh yeah, absolutely. So like then from then on, she was charging like the second rate, which was five times what she was charging before. And, you know, like. And nothing changed. And nothing changed. So it's like, it's yeah. just so unknown. And I that I think that's what really like makes me hesitant in this space to like make big moves because I just don't know anything about it. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that nobody else knows anything about it either. And they're all just out there like. Winging it. Yeah, and, like, I think about a lot. I'm, like, there's somebody out there who's so hungry for, like, money or, like, deals or whatever that they're, like, they just, like, threw all of their pride aside and they're just, like, hungry. Like, they are just reaching out to people. They don't care, like, who reaches back. They're, like, reach out to a thousand people and one responds and, like, you know, like, whatever. But, yeah, it's it's not as, like, glamorous as people make it out to be. And also, like... St. Louis just doesn't have, like, there's just, there's some cities like Nashville has a larger influencer population, New York, of course, LA, of course, like Austin has a a decent size, like influencer population. But in those cities, like it works to their benefit because they have like, they have, not only do they have like 
flagship stores for brands. So like brands will host these like glamorous events that they'll invite them to and they like meet other large influencers and can like network with brands in person. But like they also have a huge influencer network where they'll show up and actually have like people to take good photos, people to collaborate with, people to take good photos and know angles and know exactly like what's on trend or like what. Yeah, like me. Yeah, babe. Sorry, you're fired from your influencer (laughs) boyfriend position. (laughs) But yeah, you definitely, there's no, not to say that there's none. And I I have to give credit where credit's due. Like there are a lot more influencers now in St. Louis than there was when I first started doing content creation. But like, I, I hardly know any people who make their majority of their living their off money. of yeah. social media. And I just I just envy a little bit the people in those larger cities because they can ask each other, like, you know, it's like graphic designers. Like, we have a friend who's a graphic designer, and he's like, yeah, there's a standard rate. Like, this is the standard rate, and, like, this is what they charge. Like, there's just – I envy people who can, like, Yeah, go you're to, feeling your way through the dark. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. tough. And – I think that's like the biggest struggle point for me right now. See, I, my brain works the opposite where I, I'm like, okay, anytime there's a scarcity of something, that means there's an opportunity for me to set the standard, you know, and I think that's the case for you. And I think that you are in a position. I think this year is going to be really big for you. I'm really excited and I love being a part of the process and being the, you know, Instagram boyfriend and trying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, dude, I want to, I want to, I want to, sort of wrap this up with a couple things because I, man truly when I first met you you were like the biggest fan of St. Louis like you know you're born and raised here I'm not from here so I would talk about it and you'd be like oh Forest Park and the Jewel Box and the Zoo and the Blues and the Cardinals and you know and the Hill and you showed me so much of St. Louis and you really opened my eyes to it and you have a Grace's Guide mm. you know you made a guide to Grace's Guide to St. Louis which we gotta we gotta do Update, 2.0 yeah um it's on but, the list yeah, yeah 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 so I guess just a real easy kind of surface level question but Let's just, I'm going to, I'm actually going to go through um, and do like a, a little mini Grace's Guide to St. Louis. So if you guys come to St. Louis, all right, what is one like St. Louis activity that people have to do? I think you got to go to the zoo. Got to go to the zoo? Mm-hmm. Over the arch? Yeah. There's Ooh. not much to see. I mean, the arch is cool. Yeah. And a lot of people like don't leave St. Louis without going to the arch it's because it's like a what, national park. It is a national park. Yeah. But unless you're willing, like wanting to go up in the arch, which you can, which is trash. Don't do that. It's just, <laughs> I mean, if you are claustrophobic or you don't like heights, yeah, you're not going to want to do it. Yeah. And then the grounds are beautiful, Yeah, but it's not like you're going to like, like there's no restaurants on the water. There's no like, I don't know, like DC I've been to. And on the Potomac, there's like, waterfront restaurants and like the mall like you can see the river from like the mall is what they call it like the lincoln monument is and stuff um or lincoln whatever you know what i'm talking about but um like here there's not really that i think they're working on it i think there was just a huge like couple billion dollar bid that got put on like some land and and like on the riverfront that they're going to try to develop which will be cool it's a private developer thank god um but anyway, that's beside the point. The zoo right now is the number one free attraction in the United States. Mm. So it's it's completely free. 
there are upgrades that you can do if you want. Like you can buy, I think it's like a $17 like all access pass to like the train to pet the stingrays, to go to the sea lion show, to go to the children, or no, they changed the children's zoo to like this dinosaur um, attraction, which my nephew absolutely loved. Oh my God. He was like roaring with the T-Rexes. It was the cutest thing ever. Um, But it was like, you know, the zoo, I don't know. I'm, I'm a kid at heart and I think it definitely like is nostalgic for people and adults and kids it's alike. It's a really cool It's one facility, of the nicest zoos so. in the country mm-hmm. and it's 100% free. It's crazy. You just walk in. I think it's second day. to the San Diego Zoo, like yeah. ranked of zoos. As, oh, the top zoos in the yeah. country. Yeah. Okay. All right. So zoo is number one most recommended St. Louis activity. All right. What about... Um, what about number one r- number one meal, number one restaurant? If you come to St. Louis, you got to go eat here. That depends who you're with, I think, because if you're with family, like, that would be a different answer, like, kids. But if, if it's, like, a date night or, like, adults, then either Katie's Pizza is a great restaurant or Louie. On demand. Yeah, specifically the Ballpark Village location of, of Katie's. No, place. they all provide a really good experience. Yeah, but that one's fire. It uh, is fire. I mean, they just did the build out, so <laughs> and it was a, a beautiful build out, so definitely worth going. But um, or Louis on demand. Louis on demand. Man, they do. Such Wright's a good Tavern is great too, but unless you know that you're coming you like four weeks in advance and set an alarm for a reservation, you're probably not getting. Yeah, in. you ain't getting in at Wright's. Um, but Louis on demand is so nice. They yeah, do such a good job. Do. Katie's does too. Okay. All right. Um, best place to get a cocktail. Lazy Tiger is really great. It's in the Central West End. Um, they make like really craft cocktails to the point where like literally like, you know, when you go to a restaurant, like an Italian restaurant and like there's all these cheeses with names that you don't understand. So you're sitting like Googling under the table, like what does formaggio mean? Yeah. Um, and the, it's like that at Lazy Tiger. It's like all these liquors and flavors that like you have literally no idea what they mean but you just ask your waiter and he's like oh this is similar flavors to a pina colada this is sim- similar flavors to a mai tai like they'll tell you like God. and then you just i just like always trust them they're like this is our most popular drink right now if you like brown liquor or if you like light liquor and i'm like yep give me that one and yeah. it's always been really good um so they have really good cocktails i'm trying to think i mean katie's has really good cocktails that's a, too honestly. i mean that's a good one yeah but the thing about katie's is they'll give them to you to go and they can their cocktails now. I don't know oh, if you yeah, saw, I saw that. that. It's really mm-hmm. cool. Okay, so Lazy Tiger, that's a great wreck. Um, and then what was okay, this one's gonna be hard. The last one, because there's a, there's 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 really we have a, a bigger selection here in St. Louis of this specific thing than um, most other cities. But if you come to St. Louis, what's the number one sports game you have to go see live? I think City Game. Yeah. I think City Game. I agree. I agree. I honestly. I agree. We just got a a new soccer team. Yeah. We've only had one season and they're already the best. Oh, they're so good. Um, Honestly, St. Louis, you really can't go wrong. It's similar to uh, to Boston in the sense that like St. Louis is a sports city. Yeah. Like it's very sports centric. Um, And we took a huge blow when we lost the Rams. Like that was like really like a dagger to the heart for St. Louis. Like both like culturally and like financially downtown went so far downhill after that happened. And like, this has been like a new Renaissance era with the soccer team being downtown. Um, and like just 
life being breathed back into the city again. Um, but they really have done such an incredible job. The stadium is really cool. It's a square. Um, so like the concept is really cool. But they also, what I really admire about them is they value small businesses so much that they made every single vendor in the stadium a small business that's already flourishing in St. Louis. Yeah. So like one of my favorite restaurants on the hill is called Antonino's. It's Greek and Italian. And they have a, a Euro like stand in the stadium. There's yeah. a Mexican restaurant that has a stand. There's a Bosnian yeah. restaurant that has a yeah. stand. Think about this. Every you know how when you normally go to a a, a, a stadium, a sports stadium, every concession stand has the same menu. Like nachos, it's like hot, hot dog, dog, nachos, whatever. soft pretzel. In this stadium, every single concession stand is a one-off. And it's Small a different business worldly cuisine that, that lives here in St. Louis. And St. Louis has an amazing food scene. like The, one most, of the most underrated. Yeah, one of the most underrated in the country, if not the most underrated. And so there's just such a variety of, of it's so cool to see to be in that stadium. I agree. I'm so yeah. funny. I, it's funny that you said that because I know you're a big blues fan. I do love the blues, but and and I love the Cardinals too, although the last few seasons they've just sucked, but. It really, I mean, even when you go to a game and the teams are losing in St. Louis, like it's still a fun still game good. because St. Louis sports culture is just so like yeah. gung ho about the Cardinals and the Blues. But yeah, the the city experience is very, top notch very right cool. It's top notch. Very you gotta cool. go to a soccer the, game. the Blues game is so fun too, though. Like people yeah. get really into it. Yeah. And and on a nice day in the spring the cardinals games are really fun too but man yeah. last summer i went and it was like literally the hottest day of the summer it was like or sorry two years ago maybe um it was like 110 degrees and yeah. i like so, i was just soaked it's like it hot, was so yeah. uncomfortable so but somebody else brought me and i was like oh i can't i'll leave. go if it's free yeah <laughs> so um, um but well, yeah well thank you and uh Man, I I'm so glad that you that you finally came on, and I know that there's a lot of people that are going to be really, you know, really pumped about like getting to know you better. And I mean, you obviously have a lot of people that follow you and they look up yeah. to you, and um, and so I uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show, and I hope you enjoyed sitting and chatting your second podcast. Thanks. Yeah, this one went down. better than the first one, so that's good. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm surprised that you didn't. You, I feel like a lot of people are going to wonder like wh how we met like not that we need to go into it but yeah. just a quick little story uh, i mean you, you can I, yeah you can t you can tell them if you want mark's like mm, i didn't want to get sentimental on the yeah. podcast well because like truly like i'm you know that's a that's a story that you can tell you know in my head anyway i came in like like and i and i had game plan like i, I don't you know that i'm like i've been this I've been the focus of things like everything I get involved in I'm the you know I'm the story my story is the story and and I wanted this podcast to be about you like I know that us is a part of your life but yeah you know I just I wanted to really well, get I just to know thought you was, I appreciate that I I just thought it was an interesting tie because of like just our like how I even got connected with Omen in the first place like Lau's origin story is because she just you know found us on instagram my origin story is because we started dating yeah we started dating and, I don't that, know. and that's it and then yeah and then we well we, we well i think it's important to talk about from my perspective how the coffee shop kind of came to be yeah. because 
that's relevant to like our community more so than like how we met or anything. But I think people like wonder like the pre-omen like side of things. So um, Mark had always wanted to open a coffee shop. And while we were together, at we started dating while we were at First Form. That's where we met. And um, when I left in December of 2021, Mark was not planning on leaving. And then six months later, he had felt like he had fulfilled his purpose there and was looking for purpose outside of that building. And so he decided to leave and, and was initially his plan to be my partner in my marketing business and help with social media with businesses in St. Louis. And then we were about two months into that and it was going well. I mean, Mark was coaching people and helping people and getting new clients and then he got the opportunity with our friend Tim and to open the shop and um, Tim kind of helped us navigate like the building and secure our location and just guide us through the first few months. And yeah, it, it was crazy. He came home one day and was like, hey, so uh, I listed the house and we're moving. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, and by the way, I need you to cancel your 9 a.m. tomorrow because I need you to walk through this space with me for the coffee shop. I'm going to bite on it either way, but I was at least going to give you the courtesy walkthrough tomorrow. It's the only time that the landlord can do it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we did, and then we moved downtown, and within six months, Omen was operational, and boy, was that a doozy. We were here doing everything we could to get the coffee shop like up and running and we had friends help build and yeah friends help decorate and it was crazy it was a crazy few months and I had no idea how much I mean when he when Mark told me like hey I want to start a coffee shop I was like cool you do that babe I support you I had no idea how much active participation <laughs> was going to come from me on my end. Yeah. Um, but that was just naive of me to think that I wouldn't be drawn into and involved in the business day to day, I think. But yeah, it's been cool. It's been really cool to see like the growth in the community around Omen come together. And, you know, it's, it's cool to see something that started as a little idea in your head turn into something that's physical and walk into the shop and see it full and, you know, see how you and, and the rest of the community have like been impacted by one another. And it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, man. Some days it's like so hard, but it really like has been cool to see it come to fruition and, and hear about the plans that you have for it moving forward. And yeah. So yeah. anyway, I just felt like that story was no. I'm really glad that little uh, anecdote. yeah. I'm really glad that I'm really glad that you're a part of it, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without you. Like that's just the truth. Like, and I can say that about a lot of people too. But um, because, like you were saying, like Brady building the bar and mm -hmm. Sema decorating, and mm -hmm. I mean, I could just go on and on. Joe painting the signs and speaking of Joe. Joe. Yeah, where's Joe? <laughs> Joe Joe's, our friend Joe is an artist, and he's a, he's a, he's free a stereotypical spirit. artist. He, like, he just falls off the face of the earth for months at a time, then he pops up. Hey, you need anything painted? <laughs> like, all right, Joe. Um, but no, I really, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I, I, I still, to this day, I, we're almost a year, and I wouldn't be able to operate day to day if, if you didn't chip in so much. So yeah. I'm really grateful that you're a part of it. And yeah, it's interesting when you say, like, seeing, you know, 
watching something that just started as an idea actually come to fruition. I think about that a lot. I think I have this weird theory, but like with like law of attraction and manifestation and stuff, like I think I imagine that our brains are just like 3D printers, you know, that work really slow. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe just imagining that helps me bring things to life. But that's kind of like what I feel about this. Like this is something that existed in my brain. And now the, I mean, people don't even know about the future. Mm -hmm. Like I haven't talked about it much, but like now I have this whole other thing that's starting to, I'm tinkering with it in my brain. And I feel like before we know it, it's just going to be a thing mm -hmm. that, you know, you, yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. So anyway, yeah, dude. Uh, well, thank you for, thanks for, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think people are going to be really excited about uh, just the opportunity to hear from you, from your perspective, you know, on the community, but also um, get to know you and who you are and what makes you, you, you know, from your upbringing to, um, you know, just uh, your perspective of yourself and where you're at in life currently. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, love you. Love you too.